You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jeanette Collazo, and you're listening to the Power of Why podcast, a show about human behavior, critical thinking. We're going to talk about basic that we start to understand why we do the things we do the way we do them. I'm very happy today because today we have our first guest, okay, friend of mine that I wanted to include in the discussion. She's a peer, so we're going to be talking about what has been discussed before and so many other very interesting things, and her name is Glorima Rivera, okay, Dr. Glorima Rivera. She's an industrial organizational psychologist with a lot of experience in consulting and organizational development, talent management. That's going to be very interesting because I do want to talk about that topic, leadership, strategic planning. And in her 14 years of professional experience, she has stood out for developing impact projects in the sector of non profit organizations, which is a little different because most of my experience is for profit. So there are very interesting differences when we're talking about nonprofit and human behavior and, and motivation and other things that I would love to discuss with Glorimar. She has worked in the United States, in Puerto Rico and Latin America, and she is the co-author of two books. The first one is The Science and Art of Interviewing, Concepts, Strategies, Research, and Practical Applications, and The other book is Contributions of Qualitative Research in the Field of Health in Puerto Rico. So welcome, Glory, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be here today. So tell me, talk to me, what are you doing now? What's your your current status when it comes to your projects and, and what you have been doing? Well, hi, Jeanette. Thank you for having me in this opportunity. Congratulations in this new project at this podcast. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, yes, I'm very fortunate to work in an environment which is so diverse. Our background as an industrial organization as psychologist, one of the things that I enjoy the most is that there is so many different opportunities. There are so many aspects in which we can focus on. And in my case, I started working in the HR department, providing services as a consultant to different organizations as, as a human resources consultant. And from there, I started putting attention in other areas as I develop as an industrial organization as a psychologist, and particularly leadership development talent management, all those components that truly affects employees in the work environment. And as well, I put a lot of attention in the nonprofit sectors. So those areas, that social responsibility and the importance Oof. of employees mm -hmm. engaging in those aspects. So in my career, I have been I have been blessed to offer and provide services in different industries, but particularly in the healthcare setting, which I love. I truly enjoyed working with nurses, doctors, mm -hmm. and hospitals, and primary care settings. I value the work they do, and I truly enjoyed helping those work settings to truly excel, to identify those components that are affecting their work, their daily work, and then working together to target those areas and make sure that people are flourishing and 
are doing the best and putting all their talents in a best way. So I have been combining these two components, nonprofit That's true. and working with a lot of volunteers from from organizations providing services to the communities, but also providing services as a consultant, primarily in the healthcare setting. That's 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 interesting, and it's it's very interesting that you started talking about the areas of industrial organizational psychology because a lot of people don't really understand what we do, and it's sometimes it's so difficult to to explain it. And some people even jokingly tell me, "What do you do? Do you give therapy to equipment?" You know, that's that's most of the times what I you know when when we talk, it's pretty common misconception that the industrial psychology is basically a clinical psychology in the workplace, which is not what it is. It's no, you know, we don't work with, you know, behavioral issues. You know, if we see, you know, personal problems or things like that, we refer those to the ones that really have the competence, which is clinical psychologists or, you know, programs to help employees. But in our case, what we're looking is at the organization and try to understand how the organization behaves. And of course, in order to see that, we have to see not only, I mean, the collective, but the collective is is composed by individuals. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And it's interesting that you're talking about these two sectors because, and also as part of my experience personally, you know, and I think you might, let me see how can I say this, like you relate to this because when I was doing my practice, I did some work in the church and as an organization. And that's one thing that a lot of people get very, very surprised that an industrial organizational department, organizational development, and all of those things can exist in that part of environment. And I know you know about this environment. Okay. Because I know you have been working in, in projects in this environment. And would you like to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes, of course. I think that what you're saying is so true. I think that for people, is easier to put things into certain categories, if you will. So, so it's easier for people in order to understand, they put in boxes or categories and they say, well, if you are an industrial organization, a psychologist, they just keep the psychology you know, that component. And then just they say, well, it should be therapy. So what are you doing? Are you giving therapy to the employees? Should I refer you employees? So it's, it's kind of difficult. I think that in our professional background, it's important to constantly educate people. Yeah. about the different areas that we can work with. The same happens when you when you start working in some context or some workplaces that people are not used to see industrial organizational psychologists. So the most so for of people, them actually to understand that Exactly, exactly. So when you start talking about social components, nonprofit, the religions or religious organizations, people start, you know, that's kind of odd. It's difficult for people yeah. to understand, well, but what are you doing there? And at the same time, for the people in those workplaces, it's difficult to assimilate what, what an, an industrial organization can do for them, for yes. the organization. So in yes. my case, it has been very interesting because, as you mentioned, whenever they are humans and are working, you know, whenever we are in a workplace and an organization environment, so they're going to be in a space, you know, for for professionals as 
us to provide and add value to the work of people and help them, the organization as a whole, to better, to be effective and, and to work better and to accomplish the goals that they have established. So I have, in terms of the nonprofit organizations, I have worked with faith-based organizations. Mm -hmm. developing programs for the leadership development and also direct services project and help organizations to identify in which way they can better fulfill the goals in, in the nonprofit sector is direct services to provide services to underserved communities and how do you put in place a project program with all the components that needs to be part of it. So it's skills that you need, the skills, the knowledge, the competencies that you need in order to hire the appropriate personnel, the appropriate team to fulfill the task. How do you establish the guidelines? How do you establish and define what the, what's the task? It's pretty much kind of the same, but in a different way. So, oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's very dynamic. And also we have incorporated all those techniques kind of data analysis. We do at some points, we complete assessments to understand the context, what's going on, to understand how we can be better so we conduct surveys. So so there are so many things that we do in the nonprofit sector as well and in other industries. So it's very dynamic and there is a lot of room still for, for professional in our area to serve in different industries. It's, it's so fascinating, especially when we talk about, you know, faith-based organizations because, you know, you want organizations to be successful. Now, this is how I see it. And maybe I'm going to, you know, be ignorant here, but, you know, a, a church, it's going to be successful if it achieves salvation for most of their members, right? And you cannot measure that. <laughs> But you can measure activities. You can measure, you know, if you are providing what people need, if you are, you know, being receptive to community issues. And, and all of those things can be measured. So so it's, it's, it's a fascinating way to introduce this because people have those type of questions. For example, when I work with clients, they always ask me, well, you work with pharma or you work with GMP manufacturing, which is, you know, good regulation for pharmaceutical or similar industry, good manufacturing practices. And they think that this does not apply to their organization. If I don't know about, you know, a rocket then that means that I am not an organizational psychologist. And that doesn't work like that. You know, I might not be the engineer. I'm not the rocket scientist. But when it comes to the organization, the measuring productivity, working with individuals and collective behaviors, we can absolutely do a, a good job. One of the ways that I explain this to my clients is that when you have a problem with equipment, you talk to an expert in equipment, most of the time it's going to be a mechanical engineer. When you have issues associated to the process, you go straight to the process engineer. When you have issues with the product, most of the times, if we're talking about manufacturing, you know, drug manufacturing, you're going to find a chemical engineer. But when it comes to people, which is the most complex organism in existence, where is the human engineer? You know, who explains human behavior? And that's something that a lot of people don't understand in organizations because you have to have people that can explain human behavior and that's what we do. And that's the beauty yeah. about this. So thank you for that. Another thing that you mentioned was the, the fact that you also practice in the health, you know, type of 
health sciences or health sectors, you know, nurses and hospitals. And you know what? That's one area that it's, oof, it's, it's hot with human error because of the of the magnitude of the consequences of mistakes. And most of studies about human error come from medical sector, medical errors. And there is so much, you know, so, so many control mechanisms that have been put in place. They continue to happen. I'm not an expert in medical mistakes. And there is a big reason for that is because you have to incorporate, you know, a supernova expert, which is the doctor, right? Uh, and the nurses. And you cannot just say, we're going to have a procedure, an SOP to do a, you know, a, a heart transplant. You know, it's, it's a lot more than that. And that's why it's a little, you know, it, it's not that straightforward when we talk about human error. But have you heard anything or have you seen or discussed anything associated to medical errors that might be something to, you know, further research? Well, definitely the healthcare, the healthcare setting, as you mentioned, is one of those organizations which is very critical because the services are being provided through humans. So is <laughs> is a direct service when where there is a doctor, a nurse, or another physician which is providing services to humans. So in that sense, the, there are so many variables that can affect the services that those human beings are providing. And what the research has identified is that there are variables that are related, not necessarily to the procedure, but to those human factors such as burnout, such as mm. communication, mm. such as interpersonal relationships, such as the hierarchical change instructions that are provided. And in, in my experience has been that the clients that I have worked with, the, the issues that they ask me to help them are related to communication, mm. are related to interpersonal relations, related to those external factors that are affecting the the performance of the employees within the healthcare setting. So this particular workplace is very particular because you have, for example, employees such as nurses, for example, it's very common to have nurses working more than eight hour mm. shift. So sometimes you have you have employees that they are doubling their their work shift. They are sometimes working 14 hours or sometimes, you know, more. And, and that truly affects, you know, oh, that yeah. has an impact on the performance of the decision making of those employees. And at the same time, if you have a nurse which is tired and is doubling a shift, you know, it affects the interpersonal relationship. So it affects the communication. So it affects the services, those healthcare services that nurse is providing to those patients. So it's truly have an impact. And here is where you have to manage all those additional components. You have to work with the upper management level to better understand those dynamics, to better understand those factors that are affecting the performance. So maybe they are not seeing the, the services that, that they are expecting because you have employees which are very tired. 
Yeah. Do you know? You know sometimes you're. Mm-hmm, go ahead. No, sorry, I interrupted you, but it's just that what you're saying is it's so you're hitting the nail in the head right there because here's the mm-hmm. thing: you're incorporating the fatigue component, yes. and it's very interesting because in studies, what we have learned is that when people have a number of consecutive hours, you know, fatigue starts to to kick in, and and fatigue is accumulative. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can have one day, 14 hours, the next. Day, 16 hours, and maybe the first and second day you're going to be lucky, but at some point it's going to catch up to you and that's going to create a problem. But one thing that is very interesting is that studies have shown that after working 14 consecutive hours, it could be less depending on physical demands, right? Because if, if I have additional physical demands, fatigue is going to have another, another set of impact. But In, in approximately 14 hours and, and so on, your cognition is exactly the same as being legally drunk. Did you know that? That's very bad. Wrong fact. Yes, That's it is very yes. So imagine that you are, you know, in the hospital, you're the, you're the, mm-hmm. the nurse, you're doubling shift, you are drunk. You're, it's not alcohol, but you are drunk. You are actually performing as you are legally drunk. And nobody, no cop is going to stop you and say, have you been working too much? No, it's not part of what we consider. Not only that, at least, and I don't know if this has changed, but in Puerto Rico, we do have laws that control time for for rest, right? But there is a lot of states that they don't have those type of mm-hmm. controls, that there are no labor laws saying that you can't work more than this many hours without having this resting period. So what what the United States does is that they follow certain guidelines from the DOT or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They're the only ones that have basically some guides that will allow you to, you know, to, to follow those. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to the to the United States, what we have it's you know guidelines from DOT, we have guidelines from OSHA, we have guidelines from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but we don't really have those type of laws. So it, it's up to the organization to recognize that fatigue is a very very dangerous situation. And also we do know today that a lot more people are dying in the streets due to fatigue crashes more than alcohol related crashes in the street. So, you know, it's something to consider, especially because after the pandemic, we have been working from home and a lot of people think that we work less. We don't. We work more. And that's, that's you know, that's usually what happens. So there is a lot to, to consider. Another thing that you mentioned, and I want you to tell me your experience, when you mentioned in the health sector, and we're talking about nurses and hospitals, I've read, and I don't know if this is true, but I've read that sometimes that hierarchy, it creates some type of modesty that does not allow nurses to correct a doctor if they see something wrong. I don't feel comfortable because I'm a nurse and you're in your doctor. The same thing happens with co-pilots and pilots. Sometimes they could actually do something, but they they feel that they don't have that power or knowledge-based mm-hmm. power. And, you know, what do you think about this? Is this something that we still see today or are we getting... Oh, yes, better? definitely. And I will go a little bit deeper. We have seen that within the same department. So wow. there are different levels. And then if you have the nurse, which is to just to provide assistance, 
with the patient and then you have the registered nurse or, you know, that the nurse that graduated and have completed more studies and those distances within the wow. department. And then if you have, then you add the component of the physicians. One of the things that we have seen is that teamwork is very important. How, how do you establish a good working relationship and communication between those different disciplinary. So the, the nurses and the physicians are supposed to work as a team. So, so definitely those, that hierarchy affects, truly affects the day-to-day decisions. And what happens sometimes is that you see that sometimes there is a barrier between and, and between those different disciplinaries. And what happens is that whenever is a decision made, people will say, well, I'm just doing this because I was asked to do it yes, this way. I was as told. the doctor or mm-hmm. as the other person. So, so people don't have that accountability on the services that they are providing because it's another one's fault. Yes. So yes. I'm just doing this. You know, I'm not here to tell you why. As to the doctor, as to the physician. So, and that affects, you know, the image. It's not only the image, but the services. The so results. The organization as a whole. The results, definitely. So, so that the, the patient satisfaction. So it affects everything, everything. So it's, it's important to see the organization as a whole. And, and, and for each of those people, you know, human beings participating in the organization to understand the relationship between what I do, the work I do, and then the work of that other person, call it physician, call it nurse, is is very important. So that connection has an impact in everything. And then you mentioned the pandemic when, when we're talking about the fatigue <laughs> component. So the, the pandemic kind of added that other, you know, added more stress because the healthcare setting is a place where people have worked under a lot of stress. Sometimes if it's the emergency room or other places, you know, people, they're working under a lot of stress. And then if you add up those other situations that are affecting people, such as the pandemic and other areas, it truly affects. It truly affects. But it's, it's an interesting environment. Definitely a lot to say. Yes. And let me tell you something. We are going to continue to have this discussion and because we hit one particular topic that we are we are going to have a lot of challenges. And so we are going to continue to talk that about that and it's the pandemic and the organizational environment. So let's do something. You know, we ran out of time for today. So what we're going to do is that we're going to have you to continue this discussion. Thank you so much, Lori, for being with us today. And I really, really enjoyed enjoyed having this conversation with you. So, so let's, so let's do something. Let's, let's get together again. And for now, I'm going to say goodbye for today. So thank you. Thank you, Jeanette. I'm so happy to be here and looking forward to participate in a follow-up conversation about these topics. Thank you, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to the show and we hope you enjoy this episode and that you join us next week. So that's all folks until next time. Thank you so much. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.